Welcome to the Super Healthy Human Podcast with your host, Dr. Roger Murphy. Hi, this is Dr. Roger Murphy, your host of the Super Healthy Human Podcast. On today's podcast, I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Dr. Smith is a board-certified internal medicine physician, speaker, and author. As a busy physician, author, and mom, she understands that life's demands can leave you feeling mentally overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and physically tired. She is an international wellness expert featured in numerous media outlets, including Prevention, MSNBC, Women's Day, Fox, Bass Company, Psychology Today, Inc., and as a guest on Dr. Oz's show. She is the author of numerous books, including her new book, Sacred Rest, Recovery, Your Life, Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity, uh, including groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, overcome burnout, and live your best life ever. Over 100,000 people have discovered their personal rest deficits using her free assessment at restquiz.com. And her website is drdaltonsmith.com, drdaltonsmith.com. Hi, welcome. This is Dr. Roger Murphy, your host of Super Healthy Human Podcast. I'm really delighted to have Dr. Sandra here today. She is, uh, I think if, if, if any time we needed to hear this message, uh, Sandra, this this is it, right? I mean, my goodness. So with, you know, people got to hear a little bit about your background, how you got interested in and uh, you're, the, the topic we're going to talk about today, just trying to de-stress your life and and really kind of take back your your life, right? And your book, Sacred Rest, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that. But welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, I know uh, that, you know, you've got an incredibly busy life. And I think that was one of the things that kind of really motivated you to be able to kind of pull back, take some steps back and figure out, okay, how do I, how do I do everything I do as a mom and a uh, professional, you know, a physician and, 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 and navigate this crazy world that we live in. But how did you come up with sacred rest, your book? How did you come up with that? Uh, simple answer. I burned out. So yeah. <laughs> I was not managing all of those things very well. I, um, you know, as you stated, there was just a lot going on. And so in the middle of having two toddlers and uh, working full time as an internal medicine physician, and I have a traditional medical practice. So, which means I'm in my office as well as in the ER, as well as in the ICU, <laughs> as well as following my patients whenever they go in the hospital. So that's kind of fallen out of favor in the medical community, but in the small town I live in, that's what we still do. And it's a ex- very strenuous type of medical practice because you're, you're stretched very, you know, thin on all ends. And so um, I got to a place where I just, I came home one day and I, it it was after a long day of work and a couple of days on call that week. And I picked up my kids from daycare. And I remember walking into my house and kind of setting my kids in front of the TV. I I call her my electronic nanny because sometimes she's the quickest help you can get to keep everybody entertained. And I just laid out on the floor. I was just physically exhausted. Um, and I thought to myself, this cannot be the, the life that I signed up for 
you know, when I decided I wanted to go into a career of medicine, it did not feel healthy mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in no way healthy. And so from that point, I kind of, I realized, you know, if I had, if all the things I'd done had built this life, then there's things that I can do to build something better and something different. I needed to kind of change what I was doing. And it just took me on a journey of looking at, you know, what does it mean to rest? Why am I so exhausted? I did, you know, as a physician, I think it's easy to um, kind of assume there's something medically wrong when you're tired all the time. So I did the same thing I would do with my patients. I checked all the tests. My thyroid was fine. There's nothing I could find that was wrong with me medically, but I would go to bed at night exhausted and wake up the next morning still exhausted. And I would, I purposely, you know, started to get more sleep because I knew sleep deprivation can cause that. Um, Checked for sleep apnea. I mean, I literally checked for all the things. And, you know, when you find that there's nothing that you could pop a pill at or some quick solution to make it better, um, I think that's what really took me deeper into the research of, okay, something in me is exhausted. I need to figure out what's exhausted and then how to restore it. And so that's where the book Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity came from. Well, you know, I think just, I think everyone's exhausted. I mean, I, I think it was in Wall Street Journal not too long ago, I saw this, the title was, Why Is Everyone So Tired? And I think everyone's just ex- exhausted, all the stress of dealing with uh, the, you know, the, the politics that have got us all divided, the pandemic, which is enough. Uh, then you've got everything that's going on with in this country. We're trying to come to terms with who we want to be. You know, do we, you know, it, it, it really is just an incredibly uh, traumatic time, I think. And, it, and it's hard to to turn that off. I think I think I've always prided myself is being able to meditate and through prayer and, and exercise and, and eating well to be able to kind of just turn all that off. But it just seems like in the you know last year and a half. It, it's really quite overwhelming and you get out of bed and, you, and whether you, uh, you know, seek it you, and you can find it anywhere, right? You put it on, on your mm-hmm. phone and there's the, the, the news, right? Which is going to take you down the rabbit hole of, of nothing but stress and, and, uh, and, and probably anger probably. Um, but it's, it's, I just feel like it's almost in the air. We're breathing. That is just an incredibly stressful time. And if anybody needs to, you know, uh, you know, detach from all that. I mean, the, the, the place to start is good gracious, just, just take a deep breath and get some rest. Right. So in, in your book, you've got the seven steps to seven, seven steps, types, of seven place. types, seven types of stress, uh, of rest. I'm sorry. So maybe we could go through some of those. Cause I think these are some tools that people need desperately right now. Yeah. Well, I'll name the seven and then we can kind of go through a little bit about what they are. So the seven types of rest include physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative, Um, with physical rest being divided up into two types, active and passive, Uh, passive physical rest being things like napping and sleeping, and then the active components of physical rest, which include things like taking a leisure walk or getting a massage or uh, stretching. It's those things that improve your circulation and the you know, muscle integrity and your, your flexibility and all of those things. Um, spiritual rest specifically deals with kind of how we relate to God and to others. So sometimes people will tell me, well, I don't believe in God. So do I need spiritual rest? Well, you know, at the very core of spiritual rest is that need we all have to feel like our life has purpose. And so regardless of what you associate that with, as far as, um, 
faith-wise, that's at the very core of it, is that feeling of purpose that we all need to, to experience and that feeling of belonging to something bigger and greater than ourselves. Uh, mental rest is one that many of us suffer with, is that inability to kind of clear our cerebral space, to get our heads to quiet. You know, so often a lot of people have difficulty actually getting into the high levels and, and the um, restorative levels of non-REM sleep because they can't get their brain to shut up. <laughs> you know, their head's busy going around and around and ruminating over thoughts and feelings and all these things, and it's not actually quieting down. And so that's what a mental rest deficit looks like when your head just stays very full of information and can't really come to that calm place. And so mental rest is learning how to clear your mental space and actually focus and concentrate your thoughts so that they're not so scattered and all over the place. Um, sensory rest is downgrading some of the sensory input that we experience. So many of us are not aware of the amount of sensory elements that are in our environment, you know, from if you're at the office, the phone's ringing, or if you walk in your house and TVs and radios and things are playing and nobody's really watching them, you know, the lights that are around, you know, even before you go to bed, some of us have bright lights going all the way till we try to lay down and go to sleep. And then we wonder why we can't sleep well. You know, we have to be aware of the amount of sensory input we're you're consuming even without knowing it. And then recognizing that all of that sensory overload actually comes out as an effect in our bodies. You know, we, we um, respond to it, even when we don't recognize that it's affecting us. Um, the number one response many people have when they are sensory overwhelmed is agitation, irritation, and rage. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see a lot of, you know, in our, in her world, a lot of very agitated people. Uh, and a big part of that is because they're chronically sensory, sensory overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Then there's creative rest, which is the rest we experience when we allow ourselves to appreciate beauty in whatever form. So that can be natural beauty, like being at the beach or the mountains or, you know, being outside, just take, you know, looking at the flowers, or it can be man-made beauty. Some people experience that creative rest, that feeling of awe and wonder and inspiration through watching others dance or watching theater or looking at an art show. So multiple different ways to experience that. And then we have um, the two that deal with people specifically, emotional rest and social rest. Emotional rest is our ability to express our feelings to others. And then social rest is the rest we experience when we are around life-giving people, people who are not draining us or pulling from us or you know, further stressing us out, but that don't need anything from us, that we just enjoy their company that being in their presence, that they are, there's a power with just being around their energy and in their presence. You know, I think that um, one of the uh, positives of all this, you know, the pandemic and everything that's happened with the politics here in this country, I think uh, people have started to take a step back and look at their life and decide, is this really what it's all about? You know, is it the four car garage? Is it the big house? Is it the you know, the go, 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 go lifestyle. Is that really what it's going to be? I mean, is that really what you want? So I think the positive is people have actually kind of, you know, re uh, taking a, a reset and, and, and coming up with, you know, what really is important. And so mm -hmm. I think that's really great. And, and um, you mentioned the first one, I'd like to talk about the first one, because I think, you know, this whole thing about 
sleep is so important. I feel like that lack of sleep is the, is the catalyst for so many uh, uh, ill health, you know, conditions. I really feel like sleep Mm -hmm. is so important, right? Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. Um, We, a lot of times, I think we try to get into those higher levels of restorative sleep without allowing our bodies to actually calm down before we try to go there. You know, I see so often, and when I'm talking about people and asking them about their sleep rituals, kind of their habits before Mm -hmm. they go to bed, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, I watched a horror movie on Netflix, then I walk into my bedroom and flick the light off, mm-hmm. you know, and I can't sleep. And it's like, okay, yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, you're, you just had a sensory overwhelming experience. You know, you have all your, your endorphins spiked up and now you want to sleep. You know, the, the body doesn't work like a, you know, our phone, you can't hard set it and <laughs> make it go to sleep. Um, you know, because even when we give people like, sleep aids and try to hard set sleep. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not the same quality, right. you know? Um, so often I have people say, well, just give me something to knock me out. And it's like, okay, even if I do that, you're not going to like the type of sleep that produces because mm-hmm. you're going to get sleep. but it's not going to feel restorative. You're going to wake up actually feeling drained wow. because the rest of you, we skipped over the restorative process just trying to kind of drop you over into sleep. So absolutely, I think sleep's important. Um, But I think people really have to understand kind of how we get there. How do we get to the place that our bodies can sleep well? Yeah, I think that one of the best things that people can do is really realize the importance of deep restorative sleep and and take the measures or learn the measures, Mm -hmm. you know, those good sleep hygiene that really is is important to make sure you get consistent, deep, restorative sleep. So you're ready for the day. You know, there's another, there's another article. And I I think this was in New York times. It was was about how everybody's on the um, pandemic clock and, and, you know, they just, no one's sleeping well, you know, everyone's just Mm -hmm. so stressed out. The stress hormones are causing interfering with their sleep. So putting an emphasis on getting a good night's sleep is, is, is crucial. I think. Well, number two is, with spiritual and, uh, you know, whether you're religious or not, um, you, you've got to, you got to believe in something, right? You, you hopefully <laughs> you do, right. You got to believe in something or at least, uh, feel like you're attached to something and there's a bigger purpose. Yeah. I think that's at the, just the core of it. Cause that's, that has probably been the most out of the seven. That's the one that I always have some, some, someone <laughs> that gives a bit of pushback on it's like, do I really need the spiritual? I don't believe in spiritual things, but you know, even, even those who have given me the most pushback, you know, even on discussing it, when I ask them, do you want your life to have purpose? And when you feel like your, your, your life is beneficial to others, when you feel like you are contributing to the greater good to, to, to humanity, just as a whole, does that give you a sense of well-being? Does that make you feel better? And so every one of them says, yes, you know, I want my life to have that. I want my life to have purpose. I want to feel like I'm part of the good that's in the world. And that's the rest in that. That's that, that's that connectivity that happens. That's kind of beneath the surface, so to speak. It's otherworldly and that we can't explain it necessarily, but we feel when we, when that's transpired in our lives. And so I think every person needs to have that, that connection with others. So what was the, what was that trial about uh, pornography where, where, where uh, on Hustler, Hustler uh, 
I can't even think the, the guy's name who started the magazine, probably not the best topic here, but, but it was, <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I know pornography when I see it, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, it's the same thing. I think with, uh, you know, feeling that sense of spirit, whether, mm-hmm. you know, whether you want to acknowledge that or not, if you're out in nature, maybe it's nature and you catch a glint of sunshine coming through the, you know, these pine trees that are rocking back and forth in the wind, or maybe you're sitting, uh, on a near a waterfall and you, you know, you have this sense of, of calmness, you know, to me, that spirit that's getting in touch with this, this innate inborn uh, 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 spirit that we, that we have, that we're trying to, you know, to try to harness that spirit. And, and, and then the other part of that is, is being on purpose or finding something that, that gets you up every morning and keeps you motivated to pick the kids up or to, you know, get to work or, to, you know, to try to be a nice, kind person, you know, when you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you shared some of that imagery regarding kind of the sunlight coming through the pine trees and some of that type of imagery, because, you know, when um, one of the types of rest, as I mentioned, is creative rest. And one of the ways that some people experience that is when they allow themselves to appreciate the natural beauty. And, you know, one of the things that has come out as I've had conversations with people people who are a faith or people who have a faith-based background, they do associate some of that natural creative beauty with a spiritual connection, because, especially because of the um, kind of the sense that those things were all created by the creator. And so I, I love that you brought that in because that's, that's a huge part of the creative rest as well. And even those who do not have any faith-based background, so many people, you know, I think the statistics um, in the study that we reviewed, it was like almost 60% of people said that they experienced kind of a peace and a calmness around bodies of water. Mm -hmm. And so that is a type of creative rest. If you're someone who's ever, you know, gone to the beach or, or you've even said to yourself, I just feel different or better renewed or restored, you know, when I'm in these settings, you've experienced that creative rest. It's, it's an intangible renewal that happens and you're not really understanding kind of what's going on, but, but you can tell you feel better coming out of those experiences. Yeah. And that's, that's um, I mean, that's at the core of what rest is. You should feel better from a moment after a moment of rest coming out of it than you did going into it. You should be able to tell something was poured back into an empty bucket. Mm-hmm. And then the number three was mental. Is that right? Mental. Mm-hmm. So mental mm-hmm. rest, right? Yeah. So yeah. let's talk, talk about, talk a little bit about that. Well, I think mental rest, we have to just be aware of kind of how much, um, kind of how what we use our mental processes throughout the day, uh, the, our electronics, our gadgets, really how we engage with them oftentimes mm-hmm. is setting us up for mental rest deficits mm-hmm. where we have a hard time focusing. Many of us spend a lot of time multitasking you know, jumping from one thought to the next. And whenever you're doing that, it's very hard to kind of clear your mental space because you are, your brain's kind of in multitasking mode. It's, it's set to jump, to jump, to jump from one thing to the next. And so we have to kind of get into the habit of starting to clear some of our mental space, being aware of ruminating thoughts that we might be having and doing some simple things to kind of clear that. Um, you know, if you find that you lay down at night and you're thinking about, let's say your to-do list, the next day. A lot of times what we do is we just kind of keep try to not forget. So we try to keep that thought in our head and that'll actually keep you from going into deeper levels of non-REM sleep. 
because your brain is trying to hold on to this bit of information. And so it's holding on to it, even at the expense of you being able to go to sleep, sometimes just jotting that down, mm-hmm. you know, doing a brain dump, putting it on a piece of paper or a notepad, um, or even worst case scenario, you know, putting it in the notes on your phone, but getting it out of your headspace onto something concrete. So your brain can let it go and allow you to actually go into those deeper levels of sleep. You know, I like to journal. I wish I was, I wish I could say I'm consistent. I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I could, weeks can go by, months can go by sometimes and I'm, I'm you know, guilty of not being consistent, but I've, I've found that it's been a really a great way to really just put it out there, put it on paper and be done with it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm facing some kind of challenge, some type of problem, if I can write it down and use the Ben Franklin method where, you know, here's the pros, here's the cons and, you know, come to terms with whatever I need to do. But um, I, what I do try to do is every evening uh, at the end of the workday is write in my daytime or a little planner here, kind of what I need to do the next day or kind of what come up that day, kind of just put it on paper. And then what I found by doing that, when I go to bed, like I used to be a terrible insomniac. And part of that was just, as you mentioned, Sandra, it's thinking about, oh yeah, I don't want to forget that. I got to do this. Oh yeah. We'll see what would you now I just know, okay, I've got it all written down. I don't have to think about mm-hmm. that. And the other thing I do is in the middle of the night, if I wake up, I have a pad and a pen there. So if I wake up and I just can't turn, get this thought out, I don't, now I just roll over, write it down and, you know, get up, go to the bathroom, come back and get back in bed. But I, I think that's a great uh, tip is to, you know, make time to put it on paper and then be done with it. Yeah. And it, you know, it works, it works in so many different ways because, you know, exactly like you said, we can do that with our, you know, any of those ideas that pop up in the middle of the night, we can do that with to-do lists or things we're trying not to forget. I also recommend that people do that. If you have a reoccurring thought, uh, like an emotion, like Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll have someone say, well, you know, I had a conversation with my boss or with a friend and, you know, some part of it didn't set right with me. So I'm kind of rehashing that conversation and those emotions and those feelings before going to bed. What I always um, encourage them to do is not write down in the journal kind of the conversation, not to rehash what the conversation was, but write down what the conversation made you feel, what emotions came out of that conversation, because usually that's what's actually disturbing you. It awoke something inside of you that was unsettling. Maybe it made you feel um, insignificant. Maybe it made you feel a failure in some way. You know, maybe somebody corrected you and it made you feel like, oh, I can't do it. You know, whatever it is, write that down so that you kind of empty it out. It's a bit of emotional rest as well, because you're being very real and authentic and sharing your feelings, even if it's on a piece of paper or a journal, but it gets it out of your headspace so that then you, you can process it later. You know, you can always go back to that journal and look those things back up and process through them at a more appropriate time. But trying to process them while you're trying to sleep, not going to happen. You're just not going to sleep. You're just going to keep thinking about it and just go around in the circle. Well, number four, sensory, and it's kind of tied in with mental because you already mentioned kind of just this sensory overload, which I see uh, all the time. You know, I see that with my kids. We have to they've gotten a lot better about it. And actually we've gotten a little more lax about it. And I think, I think they've gotten better managing them, their, their time better. But um, in the beginning, you know, the, 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 uh, 
being on their phones or being on their tablets, playing games, you know, we could see a, a difference in their personalities. Mm-hmm. The more time they spent on these devices, the more agitated they became, the, the more uh, irritable they became. And uh, so we really took steps, my wife and I, Jill and I, to limit them, at least early on. They're, they're, as I said, they're much better at kind of controlling, controlling, controlling that themselves now. But boy, I tell you, it was, uh, it was really kind of very obvious when they had been had spent too much time on their devices. I mean, it really was something that was easy to pick up on. Yeah, that's a huge one. And, you know, just the past 18 or so much, you know, with the pandemic and everything that's gone on, um, we've been reviewing kind of some of the results that have come back from our quiz at restquiz.com. We were looking because initially the number one rest deficit we were seeing in people was mental. And then when the pandemic hit, we saw the shift where it went from mental to sensory as being the number one rest deficit. And as we were, you know, at this point, there's over like 250,000 people that have taken the, the free assessment there. We're looking at this shift happen and we're like, well, you know, what's going on? Why is it so many people now all of a sudden going over into sensory? And the reason was because so many people at work shifted to virtual. And we had, you know, people who like, like even in healthcare with, you know, myself, no, at no point in time would I have ever told a patient, yeah, we're going to do your visit, you know, through Zoom, through a video app. I'm going to, you know, examine you by video. That would have never come out of my mouth before the pandemic. You know, that it wasn't even a thought that I would even start doing that. So, you know, uh, so many professions automatically went to virtual And so we had this excessive amount of sensory input that we had no mechanism of knowing how to how to actually downgrade that level of input. You know, it's no different than, as you mentioned, a teenager going in to play some video games, like you mentioned with your kids, you know, going in to play video games and they're good for maybe an hour, you know, but four hours of video games, they're coming out of there screaming their head off (laughs) because they've been overwhelmed with all the input. Well, we were seeing that with adults, you know, coming out as eight hours of Zoom meetings, you know, where they normally would be in an office setting where, you know, all all the inputs were were the same. You're all in that office together. You're looking at the same walls. And now we're putting you in a room with eight other colleagues and every little square box has different images. And you're trying to see what's in somebody's box and what somebody's doing over here. It was too much. We, We couldn't consume all of that without getting angry. You know, and there was a recent study that came out in relation to the book that was um, relating one college um, in California was doing a study to relate how the racial kind of uprising that happened at that midpoint of COVID, how it related to a sensory overload response. Because as that sensory rest deficit rose uh, kind of across the U.S., so did anger, agitation, riots, and everything else. So it's very interesting to kind of look at some of the research there because there's definitely a connection. There's yeah. definitely a connection, but you know, we just have to really be very self-aware of the sensory inputs that are in our lives. Cause it's, it's, it's a bit of a sneaky thing. You know, it's a behind the, you know, you don't think about the TV playing in the background, actually changing your behavior. You know, it's, it's interesting that uh, I have found over this this last, I work from home now, I do telemedicine. I have for a number of years, but now it's 100% that way in the last year and a half, just just uh, because it had to be that way. But 
um, I find that there are days where, you know, when I get a break, I just go lay down for 10 or 15 mm -hmm. minutes and just turn everything off. You know, I just turn all the stimulation off and the, you know, the crack phone, <laughs> this thing here, <laughs> um, I found if I, if it's near me, you know, and I, I'm like you, I've, you know, get probably, you probably get a bunch of texts all day long and calls and emails. You know, I mean, I could spend all day on that phone and, you know, and, and, and make believe, cause that's really, it's, it's not true that I'm doing something productive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so what I've really done is go back and put into place some steps that I've encouraged my patients to do, which is um, I don't check my phone first thing in the morning. I think that's the worst thing you do. Um, you know, I do all the things that I want to do to uh, journaling and meditating and prayer and stretching and those kind of things, get my kids off to school. And then and only then start to check emails. And I do that for a, a finite period of time. And then I'm done until late afternoon. It's hard. Yeah. It's so hard to do, though. But if I don't do that, I'm guilty as, as everyone else. Before you know it, you're looking at the news and they say, you know, you're reading something about Trump or Biden or uh, something's going on with COVID and, 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 you know, 40 minutes goes by. And then the next thing you know, you're looking at things on people magazine about what's the, the, <laughs> you, know, the you know, the fall fashion. I mean, the stuff that's just worthless, but it just, it sucks you in and it's exhausting. It is. And, and yes, that's, I, I recommend the very same thing with my clients and patients to time block. That's what I call it, basically blocking, especially those things that are very sensory rich and oftentimes emotionally draining, <laughs> mentally draining, yeah. like email to time block them. So, you know, sometimes your job requires you to do a certain amount of that. But, you know, even a, a job that does that, like for myself, a lot of my work requires me to be on the computer, um, not all email, but uh, quite a bit of it email based. And so I, I consistently kind of come up with time blocks that work for me. So I'll have a time block in the morning, maybe from like 10 o'clock to 11, where I do the bulk of my email answering and replies. And then I may not have another time block to like three in the evening for 20 minutes, where I just kind of scan over what's come in to see if anything's urgent. Otherwise, it's going to hit the you know next morning, 10 a.m. time block. Yeah. So it keeps me where I'm on top of things but I'm not overwhelmed and in that chronic checking, checking, checking all day long. And, you know, the other thing with sensory rest is really to be aware of the amount of, you, you mentioned the phone, the number of notifications we have, you know, most of the time we really only need the phone and our text as the only notifications that we're getting anything else, the weather app, the news apps, you know, social media apps, they can stay on the phone, but we, we should really choose when we select to engage with those not having them pushing us little, you know, endorphin hits all day long, right. but deciding when we want to go into those and time block them as well. Because oftentimes, especially social media and, and the news can be very emotionally taxing, you know, if you are going in and out of all the drama, you know, that goes on in our world. What a great term, the drama. And it is, that's what it is. I mean, that's their job is to sell drama in some form and to suck you in. And next thing you know, you're clicking on an ad and, you know, buying dog food and you don't even have a dog. So, right. you, know, it's, you know, they're really good at that. Right. I mean, that's what it is. But I think the sensory overload uh, for me, I have felt it. And I know my patients uh, in particular, my fibromyalgia patients who are already on sensory overload, they're already mm -hmm. overstressed. They can't handle stress very well. 
suffering with insomnia, poor sleep, and that just adds up. It's just snowball effect to where you, you get to where you don't have that stamina and resiliency to stress. So then it doesn't take that much. And then it really just, you know, can, can, can put you over the edge. Right. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've had to kind of help some of my patients recognize is it's, it's not, it's not always popular <laughs> to say this, but sometimes it's better for you if you don't keep up with the latest show on TV or Netflix or whatever it is. I, you know, I've had a lot of patients who have come in recently that have said, you know, I'm having these weird thoughts about, you know, these weird worries and anxieties and things related to um, car accidents or being shot and all this different stuff. And, you know, when, when I start doing an assessment and kind of an audit of what they're consuming, you know, what they're, what they're reading, what they're consuming through TV and all these things, you know, a lot of times it's what they're watching. You know, they're watching shows where in every show somebody was in a car accident. And so now they're having panic attacks every time they get in the car. And I'm like, well, you can't keep watching that. You know, you can't, you can't keep kind of consuming something that's keeping you anxious and, and then expect for the anxiety to be able to improve. You know, we can give medicines, we can do therapy, we can do counseling, but there also has to be a responsibility to not consume some of the, the the entertainment media that can be toxic, you know, to your emotional health as well. Well, I think at one time I was the only person on the planet that had not watched an episode of Breaking Bad, but just, just the whole premise of it was a turnoff to me, but my, one of my, my teenage sons talked me into to watching it and it's very well done. I mean, it's the acting the I mean, the production, I mean, it's, it's very well done. But my goodness, you know, as it moved along in the episodes, I think I got to maybe three or four. I felt dirty. I felt, <laughs> I felt, I felt yicky after watching it. And uh, you know, the Walking was this the Walking Dead with the zombies. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can pay me to watch that stuff. I don't want to watch anything that after I watch it, I feel like I need to go take a shower because I feel <laughs> yicky. You know, so I think you got to be. I think you got especially during now. I think right now mm-hmm. in particular you really got to be, you got to be on guard and really protect your mental health, right? I mean, you really got to be careful. You got to be careful. I think because people are overwhelmed. Well, so let's talk about creative. I think that's one that probably gets lost in the shuffle of especially the type A, like myself, type A lifestyle. It's easy to get, you know, lose the creative rest. Yeah. And I think sometimes a part of that's because when people hear the term creative rest, they ought, they start thinking, oh, well, she's talking about, you know, um, musicians or artists or, you know, people like that as creatives. But, you know, really the creative process is so much more than that. I mean, if you're having to be innovative, if you're having to think outside of the box, if you're having to solve problems, you know, even diagnosing a patient is a creative process. Treating a patient is a creative process because no two people respond the same way to any medicine. I don't care who, what it is you're giving them, you know, or treatment plan that you're giving them. So there's a lot of creativity that people are using in every field Mm -hmm. from the mom who's having to, you know, homeschool two kids. One's a visual learner. One's an auditory learner. And you've still got to figure out how to make that math reasonable to both of them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many different ways we use creative energy and then we're tired but we're the kind of tire that no amount of sleep is going to solve because our exhaustion is because our, our, our really our creativity has been exhausted. 
our inspiration has been exhausted. And so what we're needing are those things that pour back into that particular bucket, that creative bucket. And so I think it's important to recognize really how much creative energy we use and then think about what are some of those things that inspire you, that motivate you, that kind of give you that bit of awe and wonder that pours back into that creative well. So it's so to nurture your creative self, creative rest uh, step here. To me, I'm thinking about gardening, you know, something that you can, you know, get visualized, you're going to do the planning, you're going to lay it out. And there's all kinds of ways to nourish that, that, you know, a hobby. And I think that a lot of times that just gets squashed and the, the, the busyness of being, of, of being busy, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think having, having some hobbies and having some, some outlets is, is very important. Well, so the number six is emotional. So that's a biggie. Yeah. Emotional rest is, is making sure that you have those people and spaces in your life where you're able to authentically express your feelings. You're not people pleasing. You're not having to, I say, put makeup on your emotions to make it easier for other people to digest. Uh, I think the thing is just to make sure that, you know, in expressing your emotional rest and having that ability to just truthfully speak about what you're feeling, that you're not confusing it with what I call trauma dumping, where you are just recounting the incident that happened. Sometimes when people um, are sharing, what they share is all the details, the gore, the trauma. And that's really trauma dumping on other people because that's not going to take you to a place of healing. But actually what feels restful is not recounting the trauma. It's actually being able to express how the trauma made you feel, to have a safe place for your emotions to be processed through. And so I think it's, it's, it's a, thing you have to kind of be aware of, especially since most of the time, those emotionally restful people, those people we feel safe enough to share our feelings with are people we care about, our family, you know, it may be a counselor or a therapist. That's the only person you should be recounting the trauma to someone who actually is trained to help you work through the the incident in a healthy way. Otherwise, if it's with family and friends, you're really wanting to have emotional rest, share what it is you felt not the details of the trauma. And, and unfortunately you're not going to get that on Facebook, so, you know, no, Facebook's uh, going to give you tra- Facebook's usually going to trauma dump. Yeah. They're going to yeah. tell you all the gore and the details and you, you know, all the specifics of everything that happened without actually saying how it made them feel. Yeah. Because that's a lot more vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then, and this kind of ties in with the social end too, because I think one of the, I think one of the big stressors over the last year and a half is the fact that we've had to quarantine off and on. We've had, you know, can you be around a family member or can you get together and socialize with friends? I mean, we've really had a pullback from that. And in some ways, I think for, for some of my patients, it's actually been uh, restorative, but, for, you know, and part of that is get, getting away from some probably toxic family members, but uh, but that can be really stressful if you're not able to have that social contact with with others, right? Yeah, and and it's interesting because you know really depending on um, if somebody considers themselves to be an introvert or an extrovert, the amount of social rest varies because a more introverted person is is very good with being by themselves for long periods of time. You know, they're they're comfortable not being around a lot of people. We all need people. So all of us need to have some people in our lives that we feel that social rest with, those people that are life-giving, that kind of um, 
affirmative and pour back into us. But for people who are extroverted, they require more of that. They really fill up off of those type of relationships and to not have those relationships um, can, can be uh, honestly, may even be more detrimental than act than catching the virus um, because of how it affects them mentally. Yeah. Well, I'm an, let's see if I get this right. I may get it wrong. I'm an extroverted introvert. So <laughs> I need a, I need downtime. Uh, but I'm also, I'm, you know, also when needed can get out and socialize and enjoy party and, Join being around others and and uh, play well with others, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think that I think that's a big missing piece for a lot of people is not being able to to have that interaction and you know share a birthday, share you know whatever it is, holidays, or uh, I think that's been incredibly stressful for sure. Yeah, I think that's been huge for a lot of people. You know, and one of the things with social rest was that it. it really the research showed that a lot of people, even if they couldn't be in person with others, that just kind of being aware that a part of that social rest, that energy and the presence of another person, you can experience when it, when you do video, you know, just seeing their facial expressions, just seeing their body movements, those kind of things adds to that social rest experience. And so encouraging people to kind of take it off the phone or if they're doing meetings, you know, through so through something like Zoom to turn the video on so that you at least get some elements of those social, socially restful in, interactions, because not being able to even see people would make it even worse. Yeah. Well, Sandra, we've gone through the seven steps of rest, and this has been very enlightening. And I think that people realize They've, they've got some work to do, right, to be able to get to get the rest that their body so deserves. I want to thank you so much for being here today. And we have in the, the notes here how you can access Sandra's uh, book and also her website. There's a quiz that we have on here that you can see what are the steps that you need to work on. So thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. And Sandra, I look forward to uh, spending some time with you in the future.